Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our interview with the writers of Black Klansmen. Charlie Wachtel, and David Rabinowitz. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Next Best Picture podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and today I am being joined by two of the screenwriters from Spike Lee's newest film, Black Klansman. I am being joined by Charlie Wachtel. Charlie, how are you today? Doing well. Thanks for uh, having us on, Matt. And also, David Rabinowitz. How are you today, sir? Doing great. Thanks awesome. for having us. Yeah, no, I'm really, really happy to have both of you here. Um, as I understand, uh, both of you are from the uh, Jersey area, actually. Um, I'm from uh, New York myself. And both of you, um, I, I was reading up, uh, both of you actually went to different uh, colleges, um, actually. So, Charlie, you went to uh, FAMU Film School in Prague and American University. And Correct. David, you went to uh, Quinnipiac University. So yep. I was curious, how did you guys ultimately um, meet, first of all, and become writing partners? We uh, we have known each other since like sixth grade. Aw. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, our days growing up in New Jersey from then until high school. In high school, we, we made videos together. We would elect to do that instead of written reports whenever we were given the option. We also like we, we got into films. We got into filmmaking. We got into writing all in. All in high school, really. Wow, wow, that's that's really that's really great to hear. So you guys have been working together now for how many years? Maybe like as far as like professionally, probably only like five. But if you want to talk in terms of making stuff, maybe almost fifteen. Yeah. Wow. Well, congratulations first of all on the movie. I saw it the other day, and I was absolutely floored by it. Yeah. Um, the credits have the two of you listed separately from uh, Kevin Wilmot and Spike Lee. And as I understand it, the two of you were the first to actually adapt the material before Kevin and Spike Lee came on. So my first question is, how did uh, the two of you come across the story? And where were you both? You know, at what point in your careers were you both at at the time when you guys uh, ultimately decided to you know, take on this material? We uh, stumbled upon the story in July of 2015, um, and who were we back then? We were nobodies. Uh, we were just a couple screenwriters, you know, blindly dreaming, delusional. And then we found this by scrolling on Facebook. Somebody had posted this article, and uh, we read the article, and we were like, look, this is so good. This, this has to be a movie, but it's probably set up somewhere in development. And we did some research and found out that it wasn't. So we reached out to the publisher, uh, the book publisher. There was maybe an email address in the book. And uh, they said the rights were available. They put us in touch with the uh, Ron's manager and Ron. And we sent them a, a one sheet of our vision for how we would want to adapt the book and, and turn it into a movie. So and basically at this time, like we we joined forces, we were writing separately, and we joined forces writing together when I moved out to LA in 2012. So we've been writing together for like five years. At this time, we'd only written one 
uh, TV pilot together and no films yet. Uh, you know, we didn't have any representation or anything. So when we found Ron's memoir, we're like, well, why not? Let's take a shot. After sending the one sheet, we also sent them an agreement saying, hey, we'd like the permission to adapt Ron's memoir into a movie script on spec. So we never had the rights. Uh, it wasn't even an exclusive deal. Uh, we just basically had to put our trust into Ron and his team, and they had to put their trust in it. We us. didn't have an agent. We didn't have a lawyer at wow. this time. So it was, it was very risky and very scary for us because everything could have just fallen apart at any given moment. So, But it all went well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd say so. <laughs> um, what drew you both to the material on a personal level? Like, why, think, why this story, ultimately? I think we wanted, we, we looked at the character, Ron Stallworth, and, and we're just like, what kind of guy does this? Yeah. What, what kind of guy just immerses himself into this situation? Yeah. Because the, the, he's, he's a type of character that you wouldn't mind, you know, hanging out with for two hours in a movie. Beyond that, we both are separate, have separately been kind of fascinated and terrified by the KKK. And we were always kind of interested in doing something about them. And then on top of everything else, like Black Klansman is, it's extremely high concept and compelling. Uh, just Very the, easy to pitch it, just in the title in, alone. In, in the, yeah, the title alone, that's, the, that's the, the title, that's the premise, that's the hook, that's the main character, that's the high concept. And so all of these elements together just made it very clear that this could be something really good. Was that always the title, Black Klansman? Yeah, that's the title of Ron's memoir, and... Um, and yeah, and that was the title of, of our script. Although we didn't we didn't have the the extra K in the middle. That that, that was, was Spike. Spike added that. Well, that was a brilliant piece of marketing on his part, I have to say, <laughs> and it's definitely yeah, done it's wonders. A, yeah, it's like a really unique looking title that like looks like nothing else you've seen. Exactly. Can you guys uh, tell me a little bit about your process in terms of? How do you choose to adapt a story as a team? Um, do you guys take turns? Do you guys take over certain sections? How, how do you guys tackle material uh, together? Sure. Um, well, from the start, we'll sit down together and uh, draw up a really detailed outline. And then afterwards, we will sort of divide and conquer. One of us will take Act 1 and Act 3. The other will take Act 2. And then we swap and overwrite each other's at, it, at first, it's always like a lot of conversations and debates and arguments. Specifically with Ron's book, it's like we knew certain scenes from the book were going to be in there, uh, but we needed to find that engine that would drive the the the, the story uh, and give it a cinematic structure. So once we figured that stuff out for, in a macro sense, we were able to drill down and make this detailed outline, and then, like Charlie said, we would divide and conquer. How many drafts did you guys have to go through to get to a point where before, like before Spike Lee and Kevin came in, like how many drafts have you guys uh, gone through by that point? Oh, it, it's hard to say, but it was a lot. And a lot. Um, we were working with Ron uh, Stallworth on these drafts. We would send him every single draft and we would get his notes. Oh, that's like great. Line, line item, page by page uh, notes. 
because you know we wanted him to be involved with the process as much as possible. We wanted him to be cool with everything we were doing because we took you know some some liberties with true events of his story. And he was he was a great resource at the same time because he was a cop and and we didn't know what it was like to be cops and we wanted to keep things as as realistic to the the, the setting as possible. I mean he he lived this story so he could, he was uh, the book between the book and Ron we had so much to to draw from. Now, this is ultimately, unquestionably, a Spike Lee joint, meaning this film has Spike Lee's stamp all over it. And I'm curious to know, ultimately, what were the big differences that he brought to the finished film that maybe were not originally in what the two of you had wrote? Um, Was there anything that was uh, left out? What was added? Can you guys tell me a little bit about the differences? Yeah, uh, can we can we be specific? Are people listening to this? Guy? We don't want to give any spoilers. Yeah, are, are they? Will they have seen the film? Oh yeah, for sure. I, I, I let me put it to you this way: for those that are listening right now and you have not seen the film, <laughs> go see the film <laughs> and then come back and finish this. <laughs> so yes, a spoiler alert. Uh, very quickly, the beginning uh, part uh, with Alec Baldwin and his cameo. Uh, that was all Spike, of course, and the, the the Charlottesville footage that everyone's talking about at the end, of course, that was all Spike as well. Um, and, you know, I don't think we can necessarily break down every part of the film that's changed because a lot of what we did and what they did, mm-hmm. uh, Spike writing partner Kevin Wilmot just sort of fused together. Yeah, there was kind of a, a melding of it, um, for sure. Um, can, I, can I ask uh, some specific things that I'm curious about? Yeah, please. I absolutely, after I Tanya last year, I love Paul Walter Hauser so much, <laughs> and I am, I, I am so excited to see him pop up in everything lately. I'm, yep. I'm ultimately really curious to know how much of what he does in the movie is improv and how much of it was written on the page. That's interesting. Yeah, by the way, we think Paul's great. He's a great guy um, and really, really uh, funny in this movie. Um, that character, when we originally wrote him, we, we kind of, we did write him as kind of a dim bulb, but, um, it, it was, it's kind of that evolution that happens, yeah. uh, when Spike and Kevin came on, I think they pushed that further and then Paul just kind of ran with it. And he, um, as we understand it, he did do a decent amount of improvisation on, on the set to take the buffoonery of that character and just push it as far as it could go. Yeah. There, there's a moment, um, there's a moment later in the film uh, where he, he grabs a pastry off of uh, yeah. one of the, the, the platters in like a very serious and urgent moment. But it's kind of in the background, so people don't People may not notice, notice it, it, but we, 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 we crack laugh every single time. Every time. Yeah, no, it, that, that's a really good one. You guys uh, already mentioned Alec Baldwin. Uh, what about the scene where uh, Harry, Harry Belafonte is talking about the uh, lynching of Jesse Washington and how that's contrasted against David Duke initiating the new members into the KKK. Because I think for a lot of people, that's that's one of the most impactful scenes of the whole film. And I, I was curious uh, about that scene, mostly. Yeah, the uh, the initiation scene, um, of course, was you know intact from the original draft. But the Harry Belafonte scene uh, was all Spike and his partner Kevin Wilmot. Yeah, and and their it was their idea, you know, to do the to to crosscut uh, in in between those. Um, in our original draft, I believe the David Duke initiation ceremony, where where we pretty much we stayed with that. 
Do you so? Do you guys when you guys write your uh, screenplay? Do you guys try to ultimately imagine how cross cutting will work, or do you just let scenes play out in full? I think if we we're really passionate about the cross cutting, we'll just try to write it that way. For sure. I mean, ideally, when you're writing a script, you want to communicate what it's going to be like in the readers uh, to the reader what it's like watching the finished film as much as possible. Sure. Uh, there was another scene, uh, too, where Ron and Patrice are walking down the bridge and they're talking about uh, black exploitation films. And there is a bit of uh, unique editing going on there where some of the posters from those films are being shown on the screen then to reference what it is that they're talking about. Was that also an addition made by Spike? Yeah, that's a, that's a Spike flourish through and through. Yeah, so you know, so what I what I'm very curious to know now, uh, knowing that, and uh, you know, all this is really fascinating to hear um, in terms of the collaboration. Was there a favorite line or a favorite scene which you wrote, and it could either have made it into movie or it did not make it into the movie? But what what for you guys in writing Black Klansman was the highlight for you? Uh, uh, I, I think we, we might have separate uh, answers for this. So yeah. I'll, I'll let Charlie go first. So as far as any favorite lines, uh, there are a few, one that comes to mind. When we were hired in 2016 to do a rewrite of the draft, uh, you know, using Jordan Peele's notes when he was involved as a producer back then, you had the whole Trump mania thing going on. And, uh, you know, we were very mindful of that. And one of the lines uh, that we put in that had stayed intact is when David Duke is on the phone with Ron Stallworth. And Duke says, you know what? We've got to get more people like you and I into public office. Yeah. So wow. that is the, the, the start of, you know, Black Klansmen turning in that direction, which Spike and Kevin obviously did a lot of work towards themselves, too. There was that one scene I remember, too, where Ron is talking to another fellow cop and he says something along the lines of, you know, that guy's going to run for public office one day. And he says something like they'll never let a man like that into public office. And I tell you that, like that line always gets a reaction from the audience every time. Huge laugh. Oh yeah. For, for sure. Or, Um, or gasp for that matter. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think I have two answers. It's, um, the first one is, uh, Ron's, uh, first, uh, phone call, you know, when he goes on that rant. Yeah. Um, which is essentially, you know, taken from the, the book, but, you know, we jazzed it up a little bit. And then, and then the, the, the subsequent scene where he's talking to his sergeant, Sergeant Trapp, and Trapp is trying to understand, uh, you know, what's, what, what's going on. And he says, they, they want you to join the clan. You know, Ron, it's like, uh, yeah, they, they want me to meet with them and trap says oh you, you probably shouldn't go to that meeting um those two <laughs> scenes ha- have always gotten a really really good reaction which is awesome yeah um and then the, the other thing which i i think we're we're proud of is um the final uh, david duke phone call uh which didn't happen in real life but we thought um it should be in the movie and, and it in and every time we've seen the movie that's gotten a great response oh yeah absolutely yeah, my theater erupted when that moment happened, for sure. That's great. That's great. That's great to hear. It's good to hear that, yeah. What was the hardest scene to write for Black Klansmen? Mm, that's a great question. The hardest scene. 
either something that you found yourselves, uh, you know, continuously having to come back to, or maybe it's something that evolved over time with those uh, with those uh, rewrites and drafts, like you were saying before. I think I think Act One evolved quite a bit. Um, we we wanted. Uh, us and Ron wanted to make sure that we got, you know, the rise of Ron through the police force. Uh, we got it right. And there was this whole process, you know, you start off as a cadet and you have to go through all these, you know, different steps to get to the point of being an undercover uh, detective. And I think the, the the final draft, the shooting draft, a lot of that was, was trimmed down and, and cut out and it kind of got to the point very fast and, and much cleaner. Yeah, which is a, a good lesson. It's like we're kind of laboring over making everything really clear uh, for the audience, but sometimes less is more. And when you watch the finished film, you know, like the first, you know, after the, the introductory Alec Baldwin and, and the the, um, the, uh, the gun with the wind shot, you know, once we're starting with Ron, like you, you, you get what his deal is pretty quickly. It doesn't take that much screen time. And you're kind of just in it. You're you're with him, uh, in it, and uh, and it's pretty effective. Well, it's very apparent that you guys are both very pleased uh, with the final product of the film itself. I want to know what was the message when you two wrote the script that you wanted the audience to feel or leave with after watching the movie. You know, the final the final image in our script. Uh, was, you know, Ron sitting at home, looking at, kind of reflecting, looking at his, his KKK membership card, and then looking into the mountain to see the, the, the cross burning. And which is done amazingly, uh, I think, in the, in the final movie. And then, of course, we, we go to Charlottesville after that. Um, so I think the takeaway from my perspective was uh, this guy, he went through this whole thing. He scored some victories, but at the end of the day, things aren't going to be aren't different. And uh, Spike and Kevin, they 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 took that and really ran with it in adding the Charlottesville footage. And also, I think that um, you know you don't have to be a member of the Ku Klux Klan to be a racist and to have you know racist attitudes. Uh, especially in the book, which we tried to capture, there was a lot of racism in the actual police department um, itself and how problematic that can be as well. So, you know, it's there are racists among us. They, they don't have to, you know, wear a hood to be defined as such. No, and uh, footage at the end of the film at the present day in Charlottesville from last year uh, is a great, great reminder of that and is... Continuing Spike Lee's message that he has been preaching for over thirty years, and in, in, you know through the films that he's made, that the ever long battle between love and hate continues to this day. So I I, I think it serves as a really really poignant um, uh, update, so to speak, to his message that he continued uh, that he started uh, back in almost thirty years ago with, with "Do the Right Thing." And it's it, it's really it's really had a major impact uh, on those who have seen it and hopefully on many more who continue to see it. I know a lot of my friends are buying tickets and are going to see it this weekend because, like I said, mar- marketing is one thing, but they're very curious about the story. And 
seems like you you two definitely this was a labor of love to bring this story to the screen and i want to once again just congratulate you you both it's a really 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 fantastic movie thank you thanks we really appreciate that no problem final question uh with the success of this film and you know working with spike lee jordan peele and a bunch of other people involved with this film uh, what what are you two uh working on now are, are people knocking on the door or like what's going on <laughs> people are definitely knocking um we recently uh sold a pitch to fox 2000 called thatcher island which is an adaptation of a casey sherman book um, about this Boston hitman who decided to testify against the New England mob in 1967, who would become the first person placed into the American Witness Protection Program. Wow. Again, the modern Witness Protection Program. Yeah, yeah so it's yeah. cool. It's like a, it's an action thriller take on a true story. Wow. Well, that sounds really, really fascinating and uh, definitely something that, that's a, that's once again, that's a good pitch. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's hopefully, yeah, there's, a, there's a high concept aspect to it, which we're really drawn to. Yeah. Let's hopefully try to uh, duplicate the success and keep things moving forward. Shall we? For sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, thank you so much for being gracious with your time today. I really, really appreciate you guys thank answering you, my questions. Yeah, no, thank you. Seriously. I mean, it's awesome getting the chance to talk to you guys about this, especially craft of uh, screenwriting, something that I find ever so fascinating and I and I definitely love. So I appreciate it. Great. Anytime. Yeah. Thanks a lot. All right. Both of you have a nice evening and good luck with everything. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with the writers of Black Klansman, Charlie Wachtel and David Rabinowitz. Please be sure to check out Black Klansman now playing in theaters across the country. And also be sure to subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, and also on CastBox. And if also, if you're feeling very kind, you can head over to our Patreon channel where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, and we shall see you all next time. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of the Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.